Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. And he is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising subject oozing with unexpected historical significance. And this week it's The Mirror. The Mirror is all about telling political leaders how they should behave. Mm. And volcanoes. And volcanoes. Uh, If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast and tell all of your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. And you can follow Histories of the Unexpected on at Unexpected Podcast. That's spelt P-D-C-S-T. We are proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows coming soon. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss and much, much more, all at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 31 of Histories of the Unexpected. Do you know what? I think 31 sounds like an unlucky number. It's my, my age, 31. It's not your age. Can we do luck? Can we do the history of luck? Let's do the history I of luck. I don't know if 31 is unlucky, but I reckon it is. It's odd. Listeners, tweet us. Is it unlucky? 31. This is episode 31 of Histories of the Unexpected, where we will be audio googling through history, exploring the histories of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like the study, the fart, and the follower. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history, and crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of the paperclip, the history of the paperclip, was in fact all about Norwegian opposition to Nazi occupation, or that the history of clocks is in fact all about the Industrial Revolution. It's the foreman's fob watch and mm. factory time. Oh, time. The history of time. time. Checking good, in and checking out. The man sitting opposite me is the dental surgeon of dates. It's Professor <laughs> James Daybell. <laughs> Hello. And the man sitting opposite me is the archivist of eons. It is Dr. Sam Willis. Together, we will be piloting you on this uncharted, frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. Each week, one of us takes the lead. And this week... It's my turn. Okay, what have you got for me, Sam? I've got something that everyone sees every day, many, many times. Probably often first thing in the morning, 
And it's something we take for granted, but it has a fascinating history. It is the mirror. The mirror. Yes. Okay. I love the history of the you mirror. You love the history of the mirror. I do. Okay. I do. You like vanity? You're, you're, you like looking <laughs> like in the mirror? I like looking at myself in the mirror. It's fabulous. I don't know. I just, I, just, <laughs> I think that even if you, even if you didn't know that the mirror had a history and you couldn't put your finger on it, just standing in front of a mirror raises so many extraordinary questions that yeah. it clearly has to have an interesting mirror. I don't think there's anything else that we as humans interact with that regularly and that bizarrely as the mirror, surely. A smartphone. <laughs> that's true. But, so, but again, that's acting as a mirror. The yeah. selfie is all about a mirror. No, I think you're, you're quite right. As I get older, I use the mirror less and less. I don't shave with a mirror. That's dangerous. No, I don't shave with a mirror. I when shave, did that I, stop? When did the um, first time I, you shaved it, without it, a mirror happen? I mean, quite a long time ago. My father never shaves with a mirror. He shaves in the shower and got it down so that you can shave without you know, actually looking at yourself. You can f- shave by touch. And I do that every morning. And it's partly because it's warmer in the shower. <laughs> and I, yeah. and I, so, so I rarely use a mirror for that. But, I, you know, I brush my hair in the mirror. Yeah. But if we leave our personal narcissism <laughs> and vanity... I think it's very important. If, if we, it is, it is. As a TV presenter, you need to be well-groomed. You do, You do, actually, yes. Yeah. You yes. do, otherwise... Um, it's, it's interesting who, if you're looking slightly ridiculous, yeah. like you've got food stuck in your teeth, or yes. your hair is sticking up, or... Your collar is up. It's interesting how few people point it out to you. I have a very kind colleague at work who always points out when I've got my collar up. <laughs> really, I, I do. I do it obsessively. If someone's talking to me with something on their tie or something on their teeth, I just tell them. But, do you know what? I, when I went for my first job, my first job was was pouring petrol. Um, pouring petrol. Pouring petrol yeah, into cars. No, um, <laughs> I won't tell you where it was. But the lady who arrived to welcome me for my first day had like comedy toothpaste lipstick around her mouth and it made me feel i mean so awful and i i left it slightly too long and it was only like a minute but obviously within that minute i'd been waging this war with myself about whether i should tell her and so now i'm very i'm very very quick about it but i think in the whole tv world people should tell you a little bit more if your hair is sticking up or you've got like an entire wedge of satsuma stuck she needed she needed a mirror she did need a mirror. So I, the history of mirrors, mm. if we think about it, it's obviously connected to identity and the self and presentation and self-grooming. For men, it's about gendering of the mirror. It's about shaving versus makeup, uh, putting that on. That can be connected to, you know, if we look at the historical trajectory of mirrors, when did mirrors become popular? Mm. And how is that connected to the way in which we look at ourselves, the rise of individualism, self-perception? It's also connected to art in terms of the mirror, in terms of perspective, the mirror and the autobiographical painting. You know, think of your your Rembrandt. You can think of the mirror also connected to technology, technological uses for the mirror, the periscope. I'm really enjoying yeah. the fact you haven't said what I'm going to be talking about. <laughs> good, yeah. good. I'm sort of, You're doing I'm, all the I'm, boring I'm, ones. I'm, wheel, I'm, wheeling through, <laughs> I'm wheeling through all this. But, you know, you've got World War One and the sort of, you know, the periscope oh, going above the, the refle- reflections. Yeah, reflective um, sight. Ooh, so, that's good. But then, you know, the way in which it can be used in telescopes and for dentistry and, you know, all those sort of technological ideas. Also, the mirror as a metaphor. Well, and also, before you get onto the mirror as a metaphor, we were talking yeah. about the face and reflection and things like that do you reckon people's obsession with image became worse once 
they had a properly good, accessible, cheap mirror they could look into. Do you reckon it fed it, or oh, do you reckon? Do, do you reckon? Do you reckon the, the do mirror... I even want to put the brain power into thinking that through? Yeah. Or, or did, the, did the mirror did the no, mirror I mean, respond I mean, to a kind of an innate human thing to want to know what you look like? I mean, that's part of the sort of big historical question about the self and about identity and about image and about fashion and about how you look. So I think you know, where do we chart that? Well, I think the you basic know? point to make is surely it's going to be different in across time across and it's time going to be different in different locations but but certain historians have sort of said ah oh, the renaissance you know jacob burkhardt it's all about you know the renaissance is all about the the rise of the individual you talk to medievalists and the medieval period is all about the rise of the individual so you know and the way in which we insert the mirror into that as a device that is that yeah. encourages introspective reflection and kind of cross-cultural contact because yeah. it was one of those ones which it was a regular thing that explorers packed on their ships yeah. to go yeah. to Hawaii or wherever yeah. they were going, Australia, yeah. trading with, with um, yeah. North American Indians or whatever yeah. it was. And mirrors was, was a crucial, crucial part of it. Yeah. And yeah. I always thought it was quite weird if someone turns up in a massive 150-gun warship and that's going to surprise them and all they write about is how impressed they were with the mirror i suspect they were pretty impressed with the which, spaceship which thing is the mirror that they turned up in. which is the mirror as technology yes but if we connect back to the mirror and self-perception you we can go back to classical myth of narcissus mm. no mirror but a pond <laughs> to look into you know the history of vanity is quite a, a long one we should do the history of vanity. Okay, we'll do. Where are you of... going? Where are you going with the mirror for oh, us? I'm going all over. The place You're starting, aren't you? Um, so, yeah, I love this. Um, do you have a favourite object in the British Museum? Uh, what's that? <laughs> that looks like a toilet seat. That, he looked like a man who should have had a favourite object in the British Museum. <laughs> I couldn't couldn't think of it. I'll just drop you in it there. Um, I do, and it's that. It is not a toilet seat. It looks like a toilet seat. It's very old and it's polished obsidian which is volcanic glass it is john d's mirror ah. now i suspect you've heard of john d he was a little bit the court astrologer to elizabeth the first right well i know that yes <laughs> i'm just telling everyone yes. else that yes. i know that um anyway this was his mirror and he used it for scrying so he used it for trying to look into the future or look into the past. And I've become slightly obsessed about the history of scrying and fortune-telling, and also the, the history of the Aztecs, because it's where he got it. It's an Aztec mirror. It's not any old mirror. That mirror was brought back by Cortes just after the Spanish had essentially destroyed the Aztec Empire. And the Spaniards brought back loads of extraordinary Aztec material culture, which then had a knock-on effect on Spanish, well, North European culture at the time, particularly in um, in royal courts. Yeah. So owning a piece of something which came from somewhere so exotic, so foreign, you know, it was a prestigious thing. It was a, something to be proud of. Now, this is one of the most extraordinary things because the Aztecs believed in divination, and they had a particular god who was obsessed with divination. So for John Dee, getting hold of something extraordinary, something foreign, something that looked bizarre, it was a mirror, but it's not made in the same way that North European mirrors were made. They didn't have metallurgy in South America. That's the key thing about it. It's made out of volcanic glass, because that's the only thing they had that could make but a it's reflection. Not, it's not polished. So Aztecs, yep. absolutely 
fascinating. <laughs> Everyone thinks of all of the gold they had access mm. to. They didn't have metallurgy as the Northern Europeans had it. So the only way they could create mirrors is to use obsidian, which we couldn't get hold of. And so for us, it's particularly exotic as well. And it's consciously linked to the new world. The fact that John Dee's got it as well, it's not important just because it's a mirror, it's important because it comes from South America. And I think that's to do with affirming a North European obsession and belief of manifest destiny that they were sent out there. And it's that kind of cultural assumption which led to the Spanish conquering South America, to the, the British setting up in the Caribbean and then North America and on and on and on, rather than just visiting somewhere and saying, this is very nice, let's do some trade with these lovely people and travelling around the world and doing that. It's all to do with actually having an obsession with empire, expanding it and to claim places for your own, then to bring the material culture home, not just from a fascinating place, but from a fascinating place that they have subdued. Yeah. So, Does it matter that it's a mirror um, or is it the object? I think in this respect it does because divination was a really important part of Aztec culture and it was also a really important part of North European culture. But the history of divination is fascinating because it can be traced back to the Greeks. It's yep. prevalent. Yep. It's actually everywhere throughout history. But what I'm, I suppose, more interested in is people's response to divination. Now, there are various ways to think about this. One is to sort of say, okay, how much did people believe? If, if you sat down and John D looked in his mirror and yep. said some stuff which you thought was utter nonsense or did you believe it and how as historians do we unpick that now all i've really got to the stage of is realizing that it's very difficult to make broad cultural assumptions here so what you can't do is come up with an answer which is applicable to elizabethan england as it is applicable to 13th century china as it is applicable to antique greece yeah okay yeah and it's also i think to do with the seer himself rather than seers in general so you have to be able to unpick this but i think one of the most important things to do is to be kind of self-aware as a historian as someone of contemporary society and i think that majority of people will automatically assume that these seers these diviners were charlatans taking advantage of the credulous yeah not for John Dee, though. John Dee would have been absolutely obsessed with this. Well, John Dee's a yeah. brilliant example yeah. because they weren't fringe people. They weren't these sort of carnival people, these yeah. fortune tellers. Yeah. The fact that he was the astrologer for the Elizabethan court exactly. tells yeah. us, yeah. as a warning, that actually he was very educated, massively respected, yeah. and people took what he said seriously. It doesn't mean it was the only way they had of understanding their world, no, but you but- need to put these diviners into a much broader Astrology is part of a sort of world view. Yeah. You know, it still is today in a lesser sense. And there are people that, you know, that very much believe in horoscopes, um, but more so certainly in Dee's period, Mm. you know, and that would plot charts and really fascinating um, examples of these kinds of horoscopes survive. And Mm. people would have gone to them. They'd have gone to an astrologer with all sorts of personal woes and personal problems. I think we've talked about Simon Foreman in the past. You know, there are an incredible body of papers that survive in the Bodleian Library uh, that, you know, uncover these kinds of practices that are just absolutely widespread. Yeah. It's part of a a pattern of beliefs. I think that's the important... It makes me think of Harry Potter. Okay. I'm reading um, the divination classes. Yep. I'm reading this to the girls at the moment. 
Isn't she riled me about the the British Museum? That's my favourite object ah, in the British Museum. The Sutton, the Sutton Who, Who Helmet. helmet. Mm. When I was an undergraduate at Oxford and read James Campbell's brilliant book on Anglo-Saxons. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This was the front cover, and I was absolutely obsessed with it. Such a, you know, you think of Anglo-Saxon England, and that is the image it is. for Anglo-Saxon England. The um, problem is I don't really know how widespread it was in terms of a design style. or It's the same as the ship, actually, the Sutton Hoo ship. Yeah. Because the majority of ships we actually discover from that period are not everyday ships. They're, they're actually royal barges. You, you know you know that kind of um, ridiculous sort of carriage chariot that the Queen goes up and down the, the highly ornate yeah 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 so it's like one of those it's, it's yeah and it's like for us to look at that and say it, that's like a ship it's like comparing the queen's carriage to yeah, a yeah. ford escort yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway there we go this is this is the rolls royce of helmets this is the rolls royce of helmets mirrors <laughs> and what a beautiful survival okay so the mirrors so where do we go with the mirrors so the one thing that we've started talking about is the mirror and the self yeah. Okay. And there are some fantastic histories out there on the mirror. Sabine Melchior Burnett's The Mirror A History and The Brilliant Glass A World History by Cambridge anthropologist Alan McFarlane and Jerry Martin, you know, both deal with this sort of long trajectory of the mirror, which we'll put the details of these on our website. What I'm interested in is what we were talking about earlier on, and it's the way that the mirror as a technology can be connected to the self and self-awareness and self-identity and understanding. And this idea that when people examine themselves in that way, they become more and more introspective. So we can connect this to the rise of the individual. So if we're thinking about this across time, this is the move away from a sort of communal organisation of society and the way in which people live to something that is much more connected to the individual and the way in which people start thinking about themselves. And historians disagree with, you know, about how this came about. And certainly the mirror isn't the trigger for this. You know, you've got all sorts of things that are happening here, including the Reformation, you know, Reformation and, and, and different ways of looking at the world. I just want to read you a quote from Melchior Bonnet's The Mirror, where she writes, 
the construction of the subject was progressive and implied the conscious differentiation between the exterior world and other people. The subject, capable of objectivizing himself, and that should be herself, and of coordinating exterior perceptions with interior sensations, can then progress from the consciousness of the body to the consciousness of the self. I mean, that, you know, philosophically quite complex language there. But what we're really getting at, you know, is that basically you're able to look at yourself in the face and you are able to think about yourself in reflection in a much more concrete way than before. Mm -hmm. When does that come about? What is the impact of that? How do we apply that to history across time? These are really big questions, but it is about the inner workings of humanity Mm -hmm. and the way in which we've evolved as civilizations and as individuals. So there, that's my sort of opening foray on the mirror. That's amazing. We've opened up these enormous questions, you know, that historians have grappled with. You know, I think all too often people will claim developments like this for their own period. What is striking is the way in which historians often operate in silos. They have a particular period. You, you know, you're an 18th century, 19th century historian. I'm a sort of broad early modern, so 1400 to, to 1800. One tends to sort of constantly go back to that. But my first job was as a, an associate professor of history at Central Michigan University in the States. And one of my first things that I had to do there was to teach these enormous survey courses, basically Plato to NATO. And the thing that that did was it gave you such a kind of sense of perspective of the past. And and my training was as an early modern historian. So all the sort of major developments would happen in that period. But having to sort of look at history over a much broader period of time, the wheel wasn't invented. And, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel in the 16th century. A lot of these developments happened much earlier. Self-awareness, I think, is a much earlier idea. We only need to go back to classical antiquity. Indeed, the Renaissance is about the reinvigoration, rediscovery of classical texts, which themselves are about introspection and are about the individual and situating the individual within the world. Do you think this kind of need for self-awareness is more important in certain professions, such as politics, Mm. where you are responsible to the people who have put you in charge. You have been put there according to how you are, how you behave, how you think. And so being a self-aware politician, being able to look at yourself in your imaginary mirror, for me, seems more important because you've been voted into power. Yeah, I think nowadays, modern day politicians are under such forensic scrutiny. You know, the mirror is held up to them by society and, you know, you can't escape. But it's spun in so many ways. If you think about how politicians operated in much earlier, earlier periods, you know, you think we've talked about Anglo-Saxon helmets. If you think about Anglo-Saxon rulers and the way in which they ruled, how did people find out what was happening? You know, mm. the Venerable Bede would be the equivalent of the news or the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. I mean... So, no, you, journalism is a know, political yeah, mirror. That's yeah, the most important, yeah, 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 but yeah. important thing. Holding that, people responsible yeah. for... That actually, strangely, leads to one of the other things that I was going to talk about, which is the political tradition of a generic form called the mirror for a magistrate, mm. which is exactly this. It's about holding up a mirror to a politician. The dilemma is, if you are an advisor of a politician, particularly a uh, an autocratic ruler, you know, so we're in pre-1917 
democratic times. But it would also, you know, I mean, having seen the likes of Donald Trump, you know, I mean, it would also work well today. But the idea is that basically you hold up a mirror for somebody to show them what the ideal type of ruler should be. And then they compare themselves against that. And this is a tradition that we can follow back to the sort of mid 14th to the late 14th century with the Florentine poet Boccaccio, De Cassibus Virorum Illustrium, which is of the fates of famous men. And what he does is he presents a sort of an encyclopedia of historical biographies of people who have risen to power and then fallen all the way from Adam, all the way down to, Hmm. you know, to rulers in in his own time. And you can see this sort of a scene through something like Chaucer's The Monk's Tale, um, the, the 15th century poet John Lydgate. Mid 16th century, there is a, a volume called The Mirror for Magistrates right. in England. So there is this tradition of this. Um, and I've got an example. This is a sort of literary historiographical tradition for sort of reporting the deeds of great men and indeed great women. But I've got an actual example here from the reign of Edward VI. And it's a letter from William Lord Paget. Uh, and Paget is one of the fascinating character. There's a brilliant edition of his letters and some wonderful sort of biographical material on him. He's one of the architects uh, when Henry VIII dies. There's all sorts of tinkering with Henry VIII's will and the big sort of debate about whether it was tinkered with or not. But basically, Edward VI is pushed onto the throne and his uncle, Protector Somerset, takes over and William Lord Paget is one of the chief architects of this, one of his real sort of advisors. And what survives a letter written to Somerset by Paget from Westminster on the 2nd of January, 1549. The date here is really important because this is a New Year's gift to him. He writes, uh, because the determination to renew gifts of the new year was sudden. I could not prepare such a new year's gift for your grace as the fashion of the world required me to present to a personage of your estate. And yet considering the favour of your grace to be special towards me and my love, the reciprocation towards you, methought it best to send your grace, though no rich gift, yet a token of my heart, which wisheth both this and all other years hereafter happy and lucky unto you. My token is this schedule here enclosed, wherein, as in a glass, if your grace will daily look and by it you readily ready you shall so well apparel yourself as each man shall delight to behold you. And this glass that he's giving him basically lays out how he should be as a governor. Because what we're looking at with this guy, this is an aristocrat, this is an autocrat, and this is somebody who is acquisitive. This is mm. to quote um, the late Jennifer Loach, who taught me when I was an undergraduate at, at Oxford. I mean, this is a man who, not a tyrant, but, you know, certainly somebody who, is, you know, far, far from a, a democratic ruler. Mm. And the schedule, it lays all these things out that he should do. Deliberate maturely in all things. Execute quickly the deliberations. Do justice with respect. Make assured and stay wise men, ministers under you. Maintain the ministers in their offices. Punish the disobedient according to their deserts. In the king's causes, give commission in the king's name. Reward the king's worthy servants liberally and quickly. So it's basically a mirror that he's holding up to him to tell him how to operate in what is a pretty turbulent period. Yeah. 
I mean, that's, I think, interesting because it does actually fit very well to what I was talking about with divination. And that's essentially the mirror as a bridge. It's, yeah. it's a bridge between the known and the unknown, past and future, human, divine. And here we've got good and bad, yeah. haven't we? It's as simple as that. You're being told how to behave. Yeah. I think what I also loved about the, uh, the divination and John Dee's mirror was realising that looking in a mirror was only one of so many different types of divination. Mm. Um, I've got a list of them. This is fantastic. This is a contemporary list. So this is um, 16th century. You've got hydromancy, divination by water, geomancy by earth, pyromancy by fire. We've got, oh, there are more and more of them, capnomancy, augury by birds we got by entrails and on and on and on by the stars astrology by bodies necromancy um, by fishes ichthyomancy i quite like that cleromancy chiromancy and i want to finish off by looking at this wonderful picture because that sums it up for me this is the fortune teller by caravaggio Mm. And it's a beautiful, beautiful image, and it's slightly deceptive what's going on here. We have this young gypsy girl dressed up in a in very kind of a classic kind of gypsy clothing here, and there's a wealthy man, maybe a prince, and she's reading his palm. But if you look at it closely, she's actually slipping the ring off his finger at the same time. It's one of those beautiful paintings that only makes sense when someone points out the tiny glint of silver as she pockets his ring. Mm. And so here is this thought, this belief that divination, that looking in mirrors, that reading people's future by hands is somehow to be untrusted and untrustworthy. But actually, I think once you understand the whole cultural context of it, it's much more sophisticated than that. I've got one more way to go with this, okay. which is about bling mirrors, mirrors that are not for introspection. It's not about you looking at, it's about them being seen and it's about magnificence. And look at this. This is... The Hall of Mirrors at the Palace of Versailles. Mm. This was on the History Hit website recently. Dan Snow did a little periscope of this. And if we click here, courtesy of Stockholm 360 Net, you can tour around it. If you take your cursor here. Wow. You can have a look and it actually, it makes you, it's like one of those things at the fun fair. It makes you. Oh, fun fair mirrors. We haven't done those, have we? No, we haven't done those. But you can see Mm. here, this is about opulence this is about display this is about splendor it's those bling mirrors i wonder if that's consciously to do with size as well because a lot of rooms you get mirrored rooms it's the visual trick of making it bigger and making it lighter and that's about showing off it's like panes of glass and windows isn't it you can afford to have them so let's have as many as possible and cover every part of the window they use areas a lot for um, architecture as well now i was going to show you this here trump international hotel Mm -hmm. and tower in chicago there's a man concerned with his own greatness it is. and his own vanity. Yeah, uh, that's just a huge building covered in mirrors as well. Yes, that's the Chicago the, skyline. The Chicago skyline reflected in the building. Yeah. But interestingly, they use it a lot for making buildings invisible now, which I love. So if you've got a mirrored building in the middle of a field, you can't see it because it reflects... If it's just surrounded by earth and sky or, like, we know, woods, it vanishes um, which is wonderful. I've always wanted to live in a does it, does house. Does it have an application to, and I'm I'm <laughs> clutching at straws here, but but does it have an application to military aircraft as well? You know, those sort of reconnaissance aircraft yeah. that are completely invisible. 
Um, I imagine they're so. They're invisible to radar. Tweet, tweet us. Yeah, rather than... The, the, <laughs> invisible the, to the yeah, naked eye. There we go. We have mirrors. We've gone from the Aztecs to obsidian volcanic glass. We've gone to magistrates. Yep. Good and evil... Donald Trump. Donald Trump, Chicago. Absolutely, yeah, I love that one. Versailles. Yes, Versailles. Okay, thank you everyone for listening. You are the most important part of this podcast, so please do get in touch with us with your ideas about the history of mirrors and also ideas for future shows. Uh, But that's all for now. Bye. Bye. If you enjoy this podcast and you like learning about the past, check out my latest venture. It's called History Masterclass, and it's a new type of historical event where you can actually learn in person from the best historians around today in unique and stunning historical locations. You can find out more at thehistorymasterclass.com and follow on Facebook and Twitter. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. At the History MC.